Our scripture reading today comes from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. This is the word of the Lord. Our scripture reading this morning comes from near the end of Peter's life. In fact, this is the final message that he gives to Christians uh, that he is writing to. He has spent his life ever since Jesus ascended to heaven, sharing the gospel, preaching to others around the world, helping them see the truth of, of Jesus Christ. And here at the end of his life, he wants to remind them. It says three times in the preceding verses and in our reading, he says, I want to remind you, I want to remind you, I want to remind you. And the thing that he wants to remind them of is that the things, the stories, the, 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 all of the details about Jesus Christ that he has preached to them, the things that, that they have heard, it is true. He, he makes it very clear. We did not make this up. You know, it's not... In our world today, we tend to have somewhat of a tenuous relationship with truth. It's not that truth hasn't been revealed or that truth is hard to find, but the idea of truth, concrete, absolute, and knowable truth, it's offensive to some of our modern minds. We may want there to be truth until it contradicts our beliefs, our feelings, or our desires. Then we say, well, you can have your truth and I will have my truth. Let's agree to disagree. But, but can we honestly have two things that are true, but yet contradict each other? I think not. During the trial of Jesus in John chapter 18, Jesus says, if you love truth, you recognize that what I say is true. Earlier in John 14, Jesus says, that if you want to know what truth is, you should know that I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. In John 18, Pilate is standing before Jesus and questioning him, and he does not recognize the truth, though it is standing before him, and he responds to everything Jesus says with a question of despair. The final words of Pilate to Jesus were the question, what is truth? 
Well, Peter is talking about that very question in this text. He says, you may question a lot of things, but don't question the things that you've heard about Jesus because this is true. Jesus, the words he taught, the life he lived, these are the greatest expressions of truth that we have today. Peter makes this point. You see, the, this is just a few decades. He's very close to the end of his life. It's just a few decades after the, that Jesus ascended to heaven. But it had been long enough for Christians to allow doubt about Jesus to begin to creep into their hearts and their minds. But Peter wants to make it clear. The stories that you heard weren't stories. They, they weren't myths. These things were true. He says, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the coming of Jesus Christ. We saw his splendor with our own eyes. This is not a clever story. It's not a myth. It's, a myth is something that, that explains why things are the way they are, but usually myths are fables, untrue stories. But the story of Jesus is not truth. It, it is truth. It is not myth. Peter says, we have seen the very majesty of God revealed in Jesus Christ. This is why I should pay closer attention to my notes. Oh. Don't go firing me now. It's okay. <laughs> Jesus is true. All right. That's the whole point of the sermon, guys. So he explains that he saw, the, that Peter explains that he saw the transfiguration where God's glory came upon Jesus. He heard the voice of God. He saw what Jesus did with his own eyes. He saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw him raise the dead back to life. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus turn water into wine. He watched as Jesus was betrayed, condemned, whipped, crucified. He watched Jesus die and praise God. He was right there, one of the first people to see that empty tomb after Jesus rose from the dead. He was standing right there the first time that Jesus appeared to the disciples. And he said, I saw from myself the nail-scarred hands. I saw that Jesus rose from the dead. And because I saw it, you can trust that what I say is true. But I can understand. I can understand why some of them doubted. After all, it can be difficult to believe something you didn't see for yourself. Have you ever had that friend who said, you know, I was out fishing the other day. You should have seen the fish that I caught. It was this big. And whenever we hear that, we always kind of roll our eyes. This is like a thing that we talk about, the fish story, right? But Peter says, listen, the story that we're telling you about Jesus, it's not some tall tale. This is the truth. Jesus himself, he acknowledges the difficulty of, of trusting things we don't witness. If you remember the story of Thomas, Thomas refused to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. He said, I will not believe it until I have seen him with my own eyes, until I've put my hands on his hands where the nails were, until I put my hand in the side where the spear pierced him. And then Jesus showed up, right? And Thomas was there and Jesus said, come here and, and touch my hands, come here and touch my side. And, and Jesus says, you believed because you have seen but blessed are those who believe without seeing. My friends, that's where we are today. We are the ones who believe without seeing. We are the ones who believe the story of Jesus. A survey was released a couple weeks ago that noted a, 
somewhat sad trend in our country. It noted that for the first time, the largest religious group in America were those who identified as having no religion at all. 28% of Americans now identify as being nuns, not N-U-N-S, right? That's a different category. N-O-N-E-S, right? No religion at all. Just 10 years ago, this number was 14% of Americans. Doubt, skepticism about the story of Jesus is growing at a rapid rate. An increasing number of people do not find the message about Jesus to be compelling enough to believe in. And this number is not just the number of people who believe in God but don't go to church. 70% of Americans do not go to church. This 28% figure represents those who have totally rejected all belief in God. And there are many reasons for this, but ultimately I believe that it boils down to a belief that the story of Jesus is not true. Because how could you believe that the story of Jesus was true and then walk in a, away from the church, and then walk away from, from tr- truly believing in God. This process of culture rejecting the story of Jesus, it started many, many years ago. In the 1800s, there was a theological movement that began arising in Germany. This movement has been called many different things over the years. Some have called it modernism or secularism or theological liberalism. But this this movement sought to apply popular philosophical ideas to how people approached faith. They argued that if you were going to believe something, it had to stand up against the scientific method. If you could not test something and repeat it, you probably shouldn't believe it, they said. So they started applying this to how they interpreted scripture. But, but as you can imagine, this started leading them to a very dangerous place because the Bible by its very nature is filled with the miraculous. A miracle by its very definition is a violation of the laws of nature. It's not something that scientists can repeat. It's something that God does. He intervenes in a moment in history and does something that no one else can do and explain. Now, if you start applying to this method, you're going to run into some problem. The scientific method, if you're going to try to scientifically replicate the things that happened in the Bible, you're going to start having problems pretty quickly. So, for example, there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 6. A man is cutting down a tree and the head of his axe goes off and flans in a river. And the man runs over to the prophet Elisha and says, I borrowed the axe, I'm in big trouble. And so Elisha says, well, here, take this stick and throw it in the the water. And whenever they threw the stick in the water, the axe head floated to the surface. Now, I can see it now, all of us running out to our, the local body of water and, and start throwing our axe head in the May River and say, we're going we're gonna to stay here and wait till this, we can do this ourselves, right? We're going to start scientifically replicating this. And I don't care if you stand there for 100 years throwing sticks in the water, you and I are never going to make that axe head float to the surface unless God does it, right? Now, suppose you're this modern scientist and you say, well, um, I don't want to believe in this miracle because I can't replicate it. Now, that may not have a big deal on your faith. After all, no one's salvation is dependent on whether or not we believe that this story in 2 Kings chapter 6 actually happened. But the problem really gets to the heart of the issue whenever whenever the scientists start applying this kind of rational methodology to the story of Jesus. After all, 
There's none of us here that can replicate the virgin birth or the wondrous healings or the resurrection from the dead or, or the ascension to heaven. So these folks went on to argue that, that some of the teachings about Jesus were a myth and other parts were historic. And this movement culminated in 1985 when a group of people got together to vote on what parts of the Gospels, what parts of, the, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were historic and what parts were myth. And, and this, is, this is wild to me, y'all. They would literally go through verse by verse and they would vote, do we think Jesus actually did this or said this or not? And, and this group of, of people, some of them had maybe been to seminary, but others were just normal everyday folks. One of the people that were a, a part of, was a part of this seminar called the Jesus Seminar uh, was a, a Hollywood director who has written and directed classics like Robocop, <laughs> Basic Instinct, and Starship Troopers. And so, you know, whenever I think of someone that's an expert in the Bible, that's definitely the guy that I'm thinking about, right? <laughs> so they actually debated for six years, six years, and at the end of it, they, they got to the point and they said, we can concretely tell you that only 20% of the Bible, of, of the Gospels, actually happened. 20%. Whoa. You know, if I have to make a choice between Peter, the disciple, wild Peter, who was right there the whole time and saw everything with his own eyes, if I have to make a choice between believing him or the director of RoboCop, I think I'm going to go with Peter. Because Peter said, we didn't make a word of this up. This is true. We saw it with our own eyes. Mm. Whenever you preach a 20% gospel, you end up with a 20% faith. And we wonder why doubt is increasing in our world today. I think it's because some churches are pre preaching a watered-down, incomplete gospel. Trusting the authority of Scripture... And the truth of the gospel is essential to our faith today. In our scripture, Peter goes on to argue that the truth about Jesus, it makes the rest of scripture even more trustworthy. He says we can have an even greater confidence in the message of the prophets. You, may, you must pay close attention to what they wrote. It says you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. The prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Because you can believe in the gospels and the truth of what they say, that, that makes, means that you can trust the rest of scripture as well. It validates itself. And so whenever we're looking at the Bible, we can say this is a trustworthy source of truth in a world that desperately needs to know true things. <clears throat> you know, there are countless things in our culture that people say, uh, people have mythologized the gospel. And uh, C.S. Lewis, whenever he was living, he, he was arguing and wrote a book. Uh, it was a, an essay that was called, um, it was called Christianity as Ultimate Truth. And in this article that he wrote, he said that there are countless myths in our world today. 
myths that, that point to the truth. But the story of Jesus is the ultimate truth that all myths are built off of. And this, this idea caused him to create these beautiful stories like the Chronicles of Narnia. He said, the Chronicles of Narnia, the, this talking lion, right? That's not true. It's a myth. But it points to the truth, this, this idea of redemption, this idea of salvation that, that God is built off of. And it's really interesting to look at the world around us and to identify all of these little myths or these parts of culture that can point to God. And so we, we see that Paul himself did this in Acts chapter 17. You see, Paul was in the Greek city of Athens. There was a, this was a center of education for Paul's world, and it was the home of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. While Paul walked through the city, he looked at all of the gods that they had accumulated in the town. At this time, uh, scholars have said that, that Paul, uh, whenever he was walking through, the city of Athens had accumulated approximately 30,000 different gods that they worshipped. And so Paul goes on to preach to the Jews in the synagogue, but they weren't interested in what he had to say. He goes on to preach in the marketplace, and finally he ends up with the town council and preaches a sermon. And he says, men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He goes on to tell them about Jesus, and I like how this encounter ends. He says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some of them laughed. Others said, we want to hear more about this later. And then others became believers. And as we go in the world today, and we begin preaching a, a gospel that is radically different, that says, you know, in a world of questioning, we do know the truth. We do know the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ. Some people are going to laugh at us. That's, that's going to happen. Some people will say, I'm kind of curious, but I, I, I want to hear more about this later. And others will become believers. We must be committed to the truth and knowing the truth and sharing the truth with the world around us today. So, so why does all of this matter for us? We can trust that the story of Jesus is true in a world that increasingly doubts. If the story of Jesus is not made up, if it is indeed true, then it makes a great deal of difference in our lives. It means that the Jesus who healed in the New Testament is still healing people today. The Jesus who proclaimed release to the captives is still setting people free. The Jesus who brings people together is still reconciling the broken. There's amazing evidence even today that the story of Jesus is true. You know, some of us may be sitting here today and say, all of this sounds great, but, but you haven't given us any concrete evidence that the story of Jesus is true. And, and if you are doubting, or if you want to increase your faith and confidence in these stories about Jesus, then I encourage you to read a book. It's a book called The Case for Christ. And, and this is a book written by a guy named Lee Strobel. Um, Lee Strobel was, he lived in the 1980s, and uh, well, he's still living today, but in the 1980s, Lee Strobel was an atheistic journalist and investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. One day, he and his wife were out having dinner, and she begins choking on something. And someone runs up and gives her the Heimlich maneuver and saves her life. And the woman said, well, it was God's will for me to be here today to, to help you. 
And this really, Lee Strobe was an atheist, right? He kind of rolls his eyes and says, whatever. But his wife does something unbelievable. She believes the woman and starts going to church with her. Now, this makes Lee incredibly mad. And so he decides to do what some husbands tend to do. He says, I'm going to prove my wife wrong. And like most of us, it it didn't go very well. And so he goes through this process and he looks at all of these arguments and he says, these are all of the ways I'm going to prove that the gospel, the story of Jesus is false. And he applied all of his investigative reporter skills and techniques and he goes line by line through all of these things. And he says at every single turn, he came across the undeniable truth that, that there is compelling evidence that supports the existence of Jesus. And he was blown away and eventually he just says, I give up. All right. The evidence is overwhelming. I am going to become a Christian. And he did. And is today one of the great apologists of our generation. And so I would encourage you, if you have doubts, or if you want to be more prepared for whenever people say, well, tell me why you think Jesus actually lived, read this book. It, it, it's, a great, it's a great help. Friends, the story about Jesus Christ, the things that we've learned and studied in the Gospels, they are not a myth, but it is the very majesty of God revealed to a sinful humanity. Thanks be to God. Amen.